Welcome to our weekly recording of the service here at Bigger and Blackmount Churches. I'm Mike Fucella, I'm the minister here, and we are so glad that you could join us. It's my prayer that you will be blessed by the message this week. If you'd like to find out more about us, please do get in touch. Contact me at biggerkirk09 at gmail.com. That's biggerkirk09, all lowercase, at gmail.com. So here's the message this week. Sixty years ago, in a small church on the west side of Shetland, I went to conduct an afternoon service. It was a beautiful, sunny July afternoon, and I expected that the usual congregation of between 25 and 30 would be there. To my surprise, there was only two folk in the kirk, the organist and the beadle. And I asked them, you know, what's gone wrong? And the answer was, after a period of rain, this lovely sunny weather was ideal for drying the peats. And they were all out on the peat banks, setting their peats for their winter fuel. Here we are, 60 years on, and I'm in Kirk again. And there's only two folk here, but it's not the same two folk. It's Colin and Emma who are working the cameras and the sound. Then I thought, well, that's not quite right either. Yes, they're here, but I'm sure there are quite a number of folk who are tuning in or have already tuned in to share in this worship together, however different it may be from our normal. So wherever you are, you're very welcome to share in our worship this morning. And in this strange situation, we need to remind ourselves why we're meeting like this. We're here, as always, to worship God. Through His Holy Spirit, He's invited us to share together in this act of worship. In our time together, the Lord will speak to us, and we can listen to His Word. There's no doubt that our Lord is with us this morning. The same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's a great source of comfort and inspiration to us, his people. So let's worship God with a hymn that shouts out that ours are not the only voices that will be raised to him today. And we sing together, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing our great Redeemer's praise.
Let us pray. Father God, we're here and we're looking towards your greatness and majesty. All the things that you showed to previous generations of your people and in the lives of the folk who showed us the way forward. We're here to experience that same greatness and majesty for ourselves. We want to have that kind of experience, even if it disturbs, shakes, or even frightens us. Confront us with your power to challenge and to change us, and fill us with a new confidence to go forward. But we ask you to forgive us, Father, if familiarity has made us careless in our response to the challenge of your word. Forgive us if ignorance has caused us to distort your truth, or if neglect has cooled the fire of passionate faith in our lives. Forgive us if we have resisted your challenge to love our neighbor and serve you in their needs. Forgive us for remaining silent when we ought to have spoken out, for sharing the hope that we have in you. Forgive us and rouse us to take fresh delight in all that you have taught us, fresh anticipation of all you want to achieve through us. If we are faithful and put our trust solely in you, forgive us, Lord, and speak your word of authority that has the power to heal and restore us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so I say to you, accept God's forgiveness and live in him that new life as together we say the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. I want to talk to you about light this morning. Do you know, it's so dark at this time of the year. I often find that I'm going to work in the dark, and I'm driving home at the end of my working day without ever having been out in daylight. And it can make me feel a wee bit gloomy. Actually, a lot of people find this time of year difficult. And it seems worse this year because we're all in lockdown and we can't do the things that normally cheer us up, like seeing our friends when we were at school or going to brownies or playing football. Well, my brother lives in Denmark and in the Scandinavian countries, they have a way of dealing with the darkness that I learned from him years ago. They make their homes cosy and, and warm and light lots of candles and they call that making their houses hoogly. 
now do this in the winter months and it does make me feel better. The, the light makes me feel a bit more hopeful. I've been thinking about this because I've been looking at the amount of times that light is mentioned in the Bible. And right from the very start in Genesis, light is mentioned a lot. And Jesus said two particular things about light that I want us to think about this morning. Jesus said, I am the light. And he went on to say that whoever followed him would never walk in darkness. Now, when we walk in darkness, we can't see where we're going and we can't see the dangers that are ahead. There are no street lights where I live. So when I walk outside at night, I need to take a torch with me and then I can find my way and stay on the right path. I sometimes think that having Jesus in my life is a bit like having that torch. I sometimes am in a dark place, but I have his light to show me the way. And Jesus also said to his followers, you are the light of the world. And he said that they should make sure they were always showing that light to others. I think, like my candlelight, Jesus wants us to shine in dark times to give other people hope. When we live our lives the way that Jesus wants us to, loving God and loving other people, the light spreads out and we help his kingdom to grow. Dark times are hard, but light shines even more brightly when it's dark all around. There's no doubt that this is a really hard time for many people. And I want to encourage us all to do what Jesus said and to let our light shine each day and try and bring hope and encouragement to those round about us. Now we're going to sing to him this little light of mine. Now let us hear God's word. It's going to be read for us this morning by Izzy Campbell. Today's reading is from Isaiah 61, verses 1 to 6. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. 
proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendour. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks, foreigners will work in your fields and vineyards, and you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast. Being from Luke chapter 4, verses 14 to 24. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him began by saying to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? they asked. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, Do hear in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. I just want to say thank you to Anne for her story, for the wee, the wee ones, for Izzy for that reading, and later on Gillian who will share in a prayer with us after the sermon. All of us, I'm sure, at times have heard famous last words. Many of them have been recorded over the years. Some of them have been quite humorous, like Spike Milligan, who recorded that, I told you I wasn't well. Some were serious. Others were memorable for various reasons. Some not. But there are very, very few famous first words. And we know the reason, because the people are usually unknown at that point, and therefore not newsworthy. But today we are going to look at the very first words of someone who at the time was relatively unknown. It's the first sermon preached by Jesus in his hometown. And that's always a hard thing to do. Because the folk there know you probably better than you know yourself. Because they're your family, your friends, your workmates, your neighbors. They've seen you in a totally different world. But here you are standing up in the pulpit preaching. I can't remember, I have no idea at all, what it was like when I began my first sermon around about 1955. 
I would certainly have announced the text, because that was accepted practice in those days. But what I actually said is a complete mystery. And even how it came about was strange in itself. We had a lay reader in our congregation, and one day he invited me to share a service with him in Banff. When I asked him what he, want, he wanted me to do, he said, oh, just announce the hymns and, and do the readings. And that didn't sound too difficult, even though I had no real experience of speaking in public. I can't have been too bad, because the next time he went to Banff, he said, would I go with him again? And he suggested that I should also do the prayers this time. And you've probably guessed what happened the third time I went with him. He said, you should do the sermon. And I said, well, what should I preach about? And his answer was, about 15 minutes. And that kept me going. He announced the hymns, he did the readings and the, the prayers. As I said, I have no idea whatsoever what I said on that occasion. But with his encouragement, I then began to train as a preacher and as a minister. And strange enough, Jesus' route was no different. He had no formal training other than the Sunday school, if you like, in the local synagogue. He was asked to read the lesson in the synagogue that Sabbath day and expected that once you had read the lesson, you would sit down and then talk about it. In other words, preach. But here he was in his home church. And as I say, that's always a very difficult place to be. And it proved that for him. What I am sure about is that my attempts at preaching didn't have anything like the impact that Jesus' first sermon had at Nazareth, as we shall see. And now we're going to sing another hymn, Be Still for the Presence of the Lord. i 
that were read earlier. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. He has sent me to announce good news to the poor, to preach release for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to let the broken victims go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. As Jesus said, today, in your very hearing, this text has come true. And that's how Jesus began that first sermon in Nazareth, using words that were written 700 years earlier by Isaiah. Very bold move on his part, challenging an inspiring text like that. It's bound to provoke discussion and debate. One of the most inspiring texts from the Old Testament, a collection of books that were written over about a thousand years. All the authors of the Bible are Jews, except one, Luke. And that was our second reading this morning. He was a Greek, brought up in Antioch, and later one of Paul's companions on his missionary journeys. Someone who never had the privilege of meeting or knowing Jesus. By training, Luke was a doctor. His work took him out and about amongst folk all day, all times, day and night. He knew joy when he was able to heal someone and sorrow when all his knowledge and expertise couldn't. And the doctors today know exactly those same feelings and frustrations. But we who are baptized know something else about Luke, something that's deeper and more fundamental than his life as a doctor. We know about his life as a Christian a partner in God's work. And his life an example is the good news itself, that God has become one of us, and however dark or bleak things may look at any particular time, life will never be the same. Life will never finally be lost. Look then, first of all, a doctor, then baptized as a Christian, given a new identity. He may have continued to practice medicine, but I think if he was asked to fill out a form that gave his occupation, he would enter disciple rather than doctor. 
Because after all, that's what we know about Luke. Not because of his medical skills, but because he was a disciple. He wrote a gospel. One of the four books that we depend on for all the knowledge we have of Jesus. And also a history of the early church and the Acts of the Apostles. Without Luke, we wouldn't be able to hear Mary sing the Magnificat or old Simeon, his nunc dimittis, to that little baby he was holding in his arms. We would never have heard of John the Baptist's birth, the shepherds with their flocks by night. We would not have had the wonderful stories of the Good Samaritan and the prodigal son nor the trials of the early Christians to establish the church and spread the gospel so that we in this 21st century can read them and be healed. I would like to think that Luke never resigned his job as a healer. He just changed the medicines he used. Instead of prescribing herbs and spices, hot poultices, and bed rest, he told stories which had the power to mend broken lives and heal wounded spirits. Instead of pills and potions in his bag, he carried words like, weep no more, do not be afraid, your sins are forgiven, stand up and walk, for his was gospel medicine. Jesus' medicine. And that works not through actions or deeds or any outside influence, but through words, which is why a sermon is so important in our worship week by week. And why a sermon is different from a Bible study or a discussion or a lecture or a debate. It's very easy to miss that despite the miracles, Jesus' ministry, a ministry with the poor, the prisoners, the blind, and the broken people, was first and foremost a ministry of words, not actions. The text tells us that he was anointed to preach the good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives, Sight to the blind. As he said, his is a ministry of saying, not doing. Saying what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do. Everything in Jesus' ministry happens after that proclamation. And because of it. Because the speaking of God's word... It's how the world began. It's how it's constantly renewed, nourished, healed, and restored by the healing power of his gospel. Luke knew that. He knew the power of God's word because he heard about Jesus and realized that there was a whole new world out there, desperate to hear about it too. So he joined that long line of servants of the world. 
gathering up the stories he'd heard, writing them down so that parents could tell their children, teachers their students, others could tell strangers, those who were nearby could tell those who were far away. And so it would go on until the whole earth was full of the knowledge of God as the waters cover the seas. If you stop for a minute, you'll realize how true that is. It may seem like a crazy, disorganized way, but each of us arrived at faith because someone told someone who told us. Maybe it was simple as, why don't you come to church with me today? Or even just the simple, God bless you. Or why don't you join the youth group? Or do you mind if I pray for you? Something someone said soothed us or intrigued us. Something that made us want more than that. And that's the way the gospel has worked and healed for 2,000 years. That's how a Galilean became known all around the world, because people talked about him. And when people talk, the world gets round. Other folk talk. Lives are changed. People are made whole. There's an old-fashioned word for this, one that has kind of fallen out of, dis, out of practice, even into disuse or misuse. It's called evangelism. Mind you, some of the examples have sent shudders through my being. The infamous TV preachers with their contrived, controlled services. Even today, it's used by some to raise themselves above others to their detriment. It's a kind of slogan when in reality it's just someone who passes on the good news. An evangelist is a bearer of glad tidings, a, a practitioner of gospel medicine, and that was Luke. He had stories that had the power to heal, and he repeated them, prescribed them, so that they could be told again and again. True evangelists have a very honored place in our faith. But have you ever thought that being baptized as a Christian brings a promise that you too will be an evangelist? Because that's what you promise at baptism, to publicly proclaim your faith. And in doing that, it joins you to the folk like the saints of old, but also to saints in more recent times, folk like Bonhoeffer, Billy Graham, Oscar Romero, Tom Allen in Glasgow, George McLeod in Iora, the street pastors in our towns and cities, to the nanny who tells Bible stories to the bairns in our care. There are as many ways of proclaiming the gospel as there are folk. And we sell God short if we forget that, or try to squeeze him into a mold that we've devised. 
and get annoyed when we can't. Not many of us will ever be called to a public ministry. Most of us will have a quiet, unremarkable one. Reading a psalm or a Bible passage to a sick friend. Telling the truth to someone who has asked for it. Trying to end a quarrel with a word of forgiveness. Writing a note that restores hope. Listening to an old person's story. Having a laugh at a youngster's joke. Inviting a stranger for a cup of coffee. These are all proclamations of the good news. If you're ever stuck for ideas, think of the way that the good news came to you and how the power of the gospel brought its healing. And the wonderful thing is that this healing through the gospel and through the words of the gospel works straight away. It is a case of no sooner said than done because the good news affects what it proclaims. You are my beloved son, God says. And that is true, even though the beloved son was hanging on a cross. Blessed are the poor. Even though the folk who heard it had no more today than they had yesterday. You are the light of the world, as we heard earlier from Anne. And we are that even though we may be feeling very dim at times, not very sparky, because the word of God never comes back empty. It accomplishes what it proclaims, whatever things may look like at the time. On the one hand, the gospel is just a collection of words jumbled together sometimes. Weep no more. Do not be afraid. Your sins are forgiven. Take up your bed and walk. They're just words. And prescribing to our wounded and suffering world may seem as futile as putting a sticking plaster on a broken leg or giving an aspirin to a dying person. But when we proclaim these words, as gospel, then we are doing so much more. We are saying to all who hear that these words belong to God. And every time we say these words, God is present, speaking them with us, speaking them through us. They affect what they proclaim. They dry tears. They quench fears. They forgive sins. They heal souls. They make true the good news of God in Christ every time we say them. And every time we do, we take our place in that ancient relay of the faith down through the years and the centuries, passing on the glad tidings that we ourselves have heard we heard it from the folk who practiced the gospel medicine of the previous generation. 
And so I say to you this morning, may the God who has given us the will to do this also give us the grace and the power to perform them, restoring this lost world of ours to health, one blessed word at a time, if need be, until the whole world can join us in saying, Amen. Heavenly Father, Lord of the earth and the lengthening days, with additional light unfolding each day, we bring our prayers to you in faith and hope and the acknowledgement that you are the same God yesterday, today and forever, and that through your Son, Jesus Christ, we can be still and enter into your presence. We look at a world which on one hand is filled with beauty and bounty, and yet on the other is consumed by greed, injustice and inequality. We pray for a world where resources are shared more fairly and where the most vulnerable are not forgotten and where self is not put before others. We ask for your steadying and guiding hand on leaders across the globe whose decisions can literally be a matter of life or death. We pray for policies and procedures to be motivated by selfless actions. We remember our own country and community and pray for the heavy hearts and despair which epitomise life for so many. We pray for healing for people who are sick of anxiety and loneliness, for those who are grieving and for those ill in hospital or at home. We commit them and their loved ones to your healing hand. We thank you for key workers who prioritise the need of others and we pray for protection for them and their families. We think of the many anxieties brought about by the pandemic and we ask for strength and peace in the face of these challenges. Challenges around illness, relationships, isolation, homeschooling, homeworking, or fears of unemployment. Finally, Lord of light and hope, we thank you for your unfathomable blessings. May we be encouraged by your unchanging love and may we be strengthened to bring hope, love, blessings and light to others. In Jesus' name, Amen. Although we cannot make our offerings in the usual way that we do, we found new ways of making our offerings. And so today, at this time, we're going to dedicate those new ways of making our offerings, the, the practical expressions of our faith to the church. So let us pray. Loving God, you gave without counting the cost. Your sole desire was to share your love and bring us joy. And so in response, we bring our offerings in all the different ways that we do to you. Not as an afterthought, not as some of our leftovers, 
not as a routine collection of our money given because that's what expected of us, but as a joyful privilege, a giving of our best, an offering from the heart. And we ask that you will consecrate all these efforts to your service through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And now our closing hymn is, I the Lord of Sea and Sky.
May God direct you through the guidance of his Holy Spirit. May he inspire you with the gift of wisdom. May he bless you with the love of his Son and the blessing of the three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen.